Today's episode of the Fanboy Podcast is brought to you by you. Well, at least it can be if you'll consider becoming a Patreon patron. See, between this and the other great shows on the Revenge of the Fans Podcast Network, as well as the site itself, which is our lifeblood thanks to the daily work of our voluntary workforce of passionate fans, we produce countless hours of content per month and we ask for nothing in return. But it takes a great deal of time and effort to create this all for you, which is why we've relaunched our Patreon page this week with the hope that you'll consider contributing to the cause. Aside from helping to keep the site and its podcasts running, you'll also get access to exclusive benefits, including bonus episodes, commentary tracks, vote and polls to determine what gets discussed, exclusive access to scoops, and behind-the-scenes gossip, a.k.a. bochinche, including stuff too wild to post on the site an appearance on the RTF podcast of your choosing, and exclusive merchandise. Interested? Then visit patreon.com slash revengeofthefans today. Now, let's get to the show. The Fanboy, episode 86. Hi everybody, Mario Francisco Robles, MFR here with you, and this is the 86th edition of the Fanboy Podcast. How's everybody doing out there? Uh, It has been quite a week. If you are a Superman fan, it has been quite a week. It's funny, last week, the big talk was everything Batman-related, right? Because we got the release date, we got the confirmation from Ben Affleck about his departure. You know, we got some real Batman goodies, including our first round of of uh, casting rumors for who might be the new Dark Knight. So last week was very Batman-heavy, but of course, you know, where there's Batman, there, are, there, there must be Superman as well. And Superman must have gotten a little bit jealous about all of the coverage on Batman, because over the weekend, uh, Henry Cavill posted an item on his Instagram that began a whole conversation, which ended up culminating with some rather exciting news yesterday. So it was a bit of like a roller coaster ride, too, because not everything is necessarily going in a way that most will find ideal. But at the end of the day, if you're a Superman fan... This has been a great week because there is, you know, some news to report. There is some stuff I'd like to share with you, as well as some speculation. And I'll be sure to specify what's what when we get there. But let's kind of continue recapping, okay? Because over the weekend, Henry Cavill went on his Instagram. He posted a thing standing next to a Superman statue in Budapest where he's filming The Witcher and getting ready for The Witcher. And he posted a thing about, like, you know, I don't always work out, but when I do, I do it with Superman or something like that. And he put the hashtag Superman and it was, you know, it was a big deal to see Mr. Cavill standing beside a Superman figure because remember, you know, things have been a little bit dodgy, right? Ever since mid-September when the Hollywood Reporter sort of broke the story that, you know, the, the studio had stepped away from negotiations with Henry Cavill, that the two sides were not able to to necessarily reach a deal to include him in Shazam and to get him signed on for further films, which at one point it seemed like a foregone conclusion that it was going to happen. Suddenly in mid-September, that all sort of evaporated into thin air. And so what I did was after this past weekend... I wrote a report just to sort of like recap where we're at because I don't think anything happens by accident. 
You've got to understand, folks, Instagram is just an extension of an actor's public relations team. Sometimes they're not even run by the actual person who it's dedicated to. It's run by their publicists and managers. And if you are one of the actors who wants to post something on your Instagram, typically you have to have it approved by your team. You want to make sure that you're not putting out anything that's controversial, that you're not putting out anything that's going to turn people off. Your team typically has to approve of what you know, of your social media life. And if you look at Henry Cavill's Instagram, it's very professional. It's not just, oh, here's a picture of my lunch or here's like casual pictures of my life throughout the day. It's a lot of like glamorous photos from big time magazine photo shoots. It's a lot of stuff that's carefully curated and published in order to give you an impression an impression of who Henry is and for you to like him and for you to root for him and for you to want to follow his career. You know, it's it's a marketing tool. Instagram is a marketing tool. So I had a feeling that, you know, Henry posting about Superman and tagging it and kind of just putting that out there, despite the fact that, yes, he's in Budapest to film The Witcher and that's one of the reasons why he's so jacked and all that stuff. Yes, aside from that, though... There has to be a reason why he wants people thinking about him and Superman right now. There has to be a reason why his team wants people to think about him and Superman right now. And as the week wore on, things just got more and more interesting, right? So first we had the Instagram post. Then we had my report, which did really magnificent numbers on the site and really nice to me because it wasn't like a scoop. It was really just an editorial. The only information that was in there is the very same information I reported on back in September of last year. There was really nothing like new in there whatsoever, yet people really like sunk their teeth into this thing and they started sharing it and other sites started picking up on bits of insight that I included in there. And listen, it's an honor. It, it, the fact that anything I have to say about my favorite character ever uh, you know, lands on welcome ears is in and of itself an honor. But then, okay, now let's continue because the news cycle continued. And the next stage of things was Collider kind of working its way into the fray. And Collider attempted to debunk uh, one of my assertions in there about what went wrong with the negotiations. And what's inter interesting about that, by the way, is, you know, and I'm not here to start like a flame war with another site. I, I have no beef with Collider, and I'm sure Frosty had every reason in the world to do what he did. And, you know, he, he felt, um, you know, he feels a certain sense of ownership over all things Cavill and Superman. Because, remember, Collider reported last April that Superman was going to be the Nick Fury of the DC Cinematic Universe. That they were going to sign a new deal, and he was going to be everywhere between cameos and other movies you know, he was talking about all these big plans that they had for Superman last April, and he seems to think that he's the authority. So I don't think he was too thrilled with the fact that I shared some insights that perhaps he was not privy to. But what's interesting was, he basically went to a PR team, asked them if they botched something for their, botched something for their client, and acted surprised when they said no. And it's really kind of silly. Because, listen, if you are part of a public relations team, a marketing team, if you are Henry Cavill's camp, the people who are responsible for his career, and some website reaches out to you and says, 
Hey, uh, did you screw up Henry's conversations with Warner Brothers by asking for way more than you should have? Do you think any member of that team in their right mind is going to go, yeah, 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 we screwed that up. We screwed that up. You know, they wanted him to be Superman. They had all these plans, but, you know, we just, you know, yeah, we, we, we totally dropped the ball on that. No, of course they're going to say no, no. Things didn't fall apart because of our demands. It was just uh, magic. It was a mystery. And it's like, listen, if you want to believe that, of course, believe it. That's fine. But don't come at me with this sense of like, oh, well, as long as the people who were accusing of doing the bad thing said they didn't do it, that's good enough. Because that's not really how journalism works. And you're supposed to kind of look around, look at the full context of everything and speak to other people to see, well, how did those neg negotiations go? Why is this perception out there? What was it that broke everything down? Because the studio was really trying to get some stuff going. They were meeting with directors. They put Superman on a list that James Gunn could have picked from late in late August of 2018. They clearly had an idea that Superman was a viable property to, you know, a viable commodity still. And what happened? Where all of a sudden now they meet with you and they go, nah, we're done with them. You know, the, the, it's just, it's silly. It's silly of them, uh, of a Collider to try to debunk it. But what I take some pleasure in is that even on Collider's own like podcast, I don't know what if it's a, a video or audio, I don't watch anyone else's stuff. But it's been reported to me by people who have seen their coverage on it that even the folks on the podcast, their own little roundtable, whoever's part of that, they said that like it's a silly thing to debunk because really, of course, a PR team is just going to deliver a very safe PR message that says that it's not their fault. You know, they, they really had no choice but to claim that they had nothing to do with that because why on earth would they? So that was just an interesting little thing. And I think I spoke about Collider way longer than I wanted to. I think I spoke for them for about two minutes. And that's longer than they deserve, really. Because that was just kind of like a silly little speed bump during the week. Having people kind of coming at me and going, Hey, do you hear Collider debunked your report? And I'm like, all right. Wonderful. I don't care. Uh, and I really don't care now. Because yesterday was the big whopper. Yesterday was the culmination of several days of Superman coverage, and there's a lot to talk about with regard to yesterday, and that's what we're going to do here today on The Fanboy. And before I get immediately into that, before I get directly into that, I do just have to take a moment to thank everyone who answered the call last week. You know, last week, I asked you guys to send in some more reviews to kind of let people know what you think of the show and to kind of deal with one sort of unfortunate situation that took place. And you guys really, you know, turned up in droves here. And I really want to thank you because I had like, I don't know, I want to say 57 reviews or something like that when I made that call. And now I've got 63 so I'm going to go ahead and read some a couple of the reviews. This will only take a couple of minutes, so please just be mindful of that. Please be patient with me here because I have some people to thank. And then we get to talk about my favorite thing in the world, Superman. Um, the first one I'd like to share with you is nice and simple. It comes from Apple user Charles Gibber. Charles Gibber wrote, great podcast, and he gave five stars. And the body of the, of the review was simply, my favorite podcast. So... 
Thank you, Charles. I'm glad this is your favorite podcast. It's mine, too. Go figure. Um, then the next one comes from Apple user Yunus, Y-U-H, Yunus, who wrote a good podcast on the behind. the, And then it covers the... I, I don't get to see the rest of the title, and Apple doesn't really have a good solution to that. So I don't know what the rest of your title was there, Yunus, but you said a good podcast on the behind the... And then, you know, we'll see. But... Uh, Yannis wrote, if scoops and talk about behind the scenes of movies is your thing, this is the podcast to listen to. The brother to the main podcast, Revenge of the Fans, this podcast stars the head of the website, Mario F. Robles. If anything, this show is nice companion to the main podcast and always nice to hear optimism when it comes to movies and what's going on behind the scenes. Sometimes this feels like a DC-only show. No complaint for me, he said. But it would be nice to hear more things about other franchises. Either way, a nice listen, and he host, and the host is honest with the listeners and never goes out of his way to down-talk why we are here. Highly recommended. Yannis, first of all, thanks for the review. And second of all, you're absolutely right. This has become kind of a very DC heavy show and that's not by design it just kind of like naturally where my sort of allegiances lie but I, I do acknowledge that note and I would like to try to expand the scope of the show a little bit more and I am sort of contemplating doing sometimes you know maybe once a month like a special show that tackles a specific thing that I'm very excited about a a part of my geekdom or my fandom that I don't get to express very often because here on this show it's very often dominated by stuff having to do with DC entertainment and with movies specifically meanwhile you guys would have no idea about the fact that I'm also just a regular film buff who tries to check out non-superhero movies as often as possible and has thoughts on those I'm also a gamer and I have so many nice things to say about the fact that I picked up a Nintendo Switch for my family last month. And it was probably the best purchase I've made for my home in years. It's been this beautiful part of the culture in our house. Getting to play Smash Brothers with my son and Mario Kart with my daughter. And all four of us play Mario Party together. So like, yeah, I'd love to do an episode at some point that talks about gaming a little bit. And talks about what Nintendo has meant to me over the years and what it continues to mean to me today. You know, I'd also love to talk about professional wrestling a little bit. And right now there's a little bit of chatter going on over on the Twitter that a few of us from the Revenge of the Fans podcast network are probably going to get together next week uh, in, 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 you know, in cohesion with or, or in conjunction with the fact that the latest wrestling movie comes out next week. That's Fighting With My Family. We're thinking... Between Fighting With My Family arriving, the launch of All Elite Wrestling, AEW, and the fact that I've just been dying to talk wrestling for months ever since I discovered the Something to Wrestle With podcast by Bruce Pritchard, uh, I'm dying to talk some wrestling. So I think next week we're going to get to do just that, and I'm excited about that. So anyway, Yannis, I hear you. I don't want this to be that, you know, such a DC heavy show. It happens sort of naturally almost out of my control because it is what I talk about the most. It is what I am the most passionate about. But I will try this year to kind of remind people that I'm not, this isn't just a DC show. This is about all the different things that I'm a fan of and what they mean to me and what the latest news about them says to me, you know. Um, 
The next one comes from Vigilante 1939. How you doing, Nick? Nick's got his own podcast, by the way. You should look him up, Vigilante 1939. I checked it out. It's a Batman-centric show, and uh, I'm happy to support his initiative there and continue to try to, you know, put a little rub on him to to borrow a wrestling term, to give him the rub. But uh, Nick wrote, Mario is the man. Thank you, Nick. He gave a five-star review. He said, Mario is such a breath of fresh air to listen to and never fails to make everything seem okay, even on the worst of days. The way he conveys his thoughts, theories, and all other news is spoken with nothing but class, professionalism, and pure honesty. Pure, honest journalism. I've followed Mario through his journey for quite some time. And if you follow his Twitter, you should, keep, you should listen here. Thank you, Mario. Keep on keeping on. Thank you, Nick. Um, then there's Luke T. Luke, and I know Luke told me his last name last time I saw him in person at one of the Revenger watch parties. I don't remember now. Luke, is it Tuck Shearer? Tweet me about that. But Luke Tuck Shearer uh, said, Great podcast by a trustworthy host. Five stars. He wrote this, along with the Revenge of the Fans podcast, is weekly listening for me. MFR truly cares about the properties, projects, and characters covered and doesn't indulge in sensationalistic rumors just for clicks. Great podcast by a trustworthy host. Highly recommended. Thank you, Luke. Really, thank you for that. Uh, and thanks for everyone, because not everyone wrote a review. Some people just put in their five-star reviews. And listen, that works too. Because you know what, guys? Thanks to your support, the Fanboy Podcast, this show right here, has been the number one fanboy podcast all week on Apple Podcasts. If you don't believe me? Go check yourself. Go to the search function, search fanboy, and it'll all, all the shows that are in the fanboy sort of genre, that have fanboy in the title, that have fanboy in the tags, all of them will come up. And the very first hit now, based on its popularity, is the fanboy podcast this show right here and that's because of the wonderful downloads that's because of the reviews that you've been leaving so thank you all for your continued support this show literally only happens because of you and also because of our patrons you know that's another thing that's happened a lot in the last week or so our patreon page has really taken off i would say we've added around 11 patrons in just the last week, week and a half, since we've started taking that page more seriously. And that's unbelievable to see. Because like I've told you guys, I don't really, we don't really make much money from the Google AdSense. And we don't want to start doing more clickbaity stuff. And we, don't, we really want to try to avoid the, the interference of really cumbersome pop-ups and, and putting up those little messages that say, like, please turn off your ad blocker. Like, I think we have that on certain browsers already, but like, you know, it's not really what we want to do. You know, we, we'd love to try to be either get money the old fashioned way from like, you know, sponsors wanting to sponsor our shows and that sort of thing, or from you, our customers, from you guys supporting us on Patreon. That'd be great because that'll help us continue to have to avoid practices that'll just, you know, generate money, but take rob us of our credibility and our soul, so to speak. And not that that's really an option. I would never rob us of our credibility. But right now, as we really try to turn Revenge of the Fans into a money-making venture, into a proper business, you know, I just want to thank the 10-plus Patreon patrons who've signed on. 
And hopefully you guys are enjoying all the content I'm producing for you. Because uh, over on Patreon, I have been dropping little like mini scoops and little whispers of things that I hear that I don't think are you know necessarily good for the site or necessarily safe to just blurt out on Twitter. So I'm basically, I, you know, I treat Patreon as like where my cool kids are. My cool kids who can keep a secret and may like some of the little things that I find in my travels throughout the week as the editor-in-chief of a geek news website. So uh, I think you guys have been enjoying some of the tidbits I've put on there, and I'm going to continue to do that. And I'm going to continue to dig almost exclusively for little stories that I can put on the Patreon, because I really do like that. I really do like that. It's neat to just be able to put up my phone, pull up my phone, pull up the Patreon app and be like, I just heard this crazy thing. I don't have time to write a report on it right now. Maybe I'll get to it next week. But for now, I want my cool kids to know about this. And I just type it out and I click publish. I put it as a patron-only post. And those of you who participate get to see it. You get your email notification and you get you know the inside dirt. So I, I'm enjoying that tremendously. So thank you for those of you who have taken the time and are supporting Revenge of the Fans, the Fanboy Podcast, all of us via this Patreon. Thank you so much for that. Um, but now, we're all caught up. Now for the reason we're all here, right? So yesterday, yesterday a scoop of mine from last year was confirmed. But I don't want to go ahead and like write a story that says Scoop Confirmed. There's still a part of me that just wants to like, I'll believe it when I see it. But let me tell you folks, there is a Superman cameo in Shazam. And this is not a spoiler. It's already pretty much out there. If you were on the internet yesterday, it was all over the place. You know, we got this covered, did a thing. Um, and they actually like broke down the way he's used according to someone who saw it. I myself also spoke to someone who saw it, someone who attended a test screening, and, you know, they, for better or worse, they broke their non-disclosure agreement and let spill some details about things that were evident in that screening. And what they shared was the fact that, yes, the Superman cameo I wrote about last year is true, but because of the way things played out, rather than us seeing Henry's face and establishing further that this is the Henry Cavill Superman, they decided to go more of a vague way, a generic way, where we're going to see his the symbol on his chest. We may see him from behind in the cape and whatever, but we don't see his face, we don't hear him talk, and it's really just kind of like a quick, neat little Easter egg that's handled almost as like you know, as the payoff to a recurring bit throughout the movie. So what's interesting here is that people don't know how to feel about this. Because on the one hand, it's like, okay, we the, Superman is going to show up in Shazam. Yay. But it's not going to be Henry. Boo. Then you have one person saying it's the Justice League suit. But then you have another person going, no, it's not the Justice, the Justice League suit. It's the Snyder S, but with a new suit. So there's still generally some confusion about this. And look, I can't tell you how to feel about it. I can only tell you how I feel about it. And the way I feel is great. I'm sorry. Listen, I cannot relate to anyone who tells me that they only care about this cameo if it's Henry Cavill. Listen, I, I, I respect you. 
I understand if that's how you feel. If you're if you're so emotionally invested in Henry Cavill's portrayal of Superman that this news will break your heart if it ends up not being him, then I'm sorry. You know, I, I'm I'm sorry you feel that way. But for me, as someone who's been a fan of the character of Superman himself for over 30 years, I'm sorry, I'm not going to get hung up about who's playing him, what the continuity is, does it continue on Man of Steel, is this another reboot? I'm not going to get hung up on that. I am doing backflips here because this means that the studio is not letting Superman vanish regardless of whether or not Henry Cavill is still in play, my boy, Kal-El, the last son of Krypton, Superman himself, is still being kept alive in the eyes of fans. To me, that in and of itself is huge because one of the reasons why I've been hopeful about Henry Cavill is that I feel like if they don't keep him, then we're going to have this long, infinite wait ahead of us because they're going to take their sweet time and reintroduce him in like another five, six years as a reboot. And this was basically going to be like what happened between Superman Returns in 06 and Man of Steel in 13, where like, you know, we tried to make him. It didn't really work. We'll bring him back later. And that's kind of what I was expecting was going to happen here. But... Based on conversations I had yesterday and the fallout to this news hitting the net about the Superman cameo, part of what came back to me from those in the know is that the reason this is in there is because the studio has no plans of dropping or putting Superman on hold. They want to keep him in ever-present presence in the DC Universe, along the lines of what Collider said last year, along the lines of what I said a lot last year, where they want to, they, they want him to feel, you want they want his presence felt, they want to lock in Henry for at least like four other movies, be it solo films or appearances in other films. They have plans for the guy, regardless of who's playing him. And that's the part that's sort of news to me now. The fact that whether it's Cavill or not, there's going to be Superman in the relatively near future makes me a whole lot less reliant on clinging to this hope for Henry Cavill's return. Because the way it's been explained to me is that regardless of whether or not it's Cavill, we're going to see Superman in Shazam. Regardless of whether or not it's Cavill, there's going to be another, you know, Superman's presence will be felt when Supergirl eventually makes its way into theaters, which I'm not sure how far off that is. I'm trying to find out if that's still getting fast-tracked, because in theory, if it is still getting fast-tracked, who knows, maybe they can have that in production, you know, later this year or early next year, since The Flash seems to have sort of vanished for now. So if Supergirl happens as soon as it could, then we know Superman's presence will be felt there, and then... After that, sort of the stage is set for another Superman movie, be it a sequel or be it an introduction of a new Superman. And for me, that's big news. For me, no matter what that ends up becoming, whether it is a sequel or it is a reboot, the mere fact that I get to see Superman in theaters, the mere fact that I get to see Superman inspiring Freddie Freeman and Billy Batson, the fact that I get to experience a Superman 
who is an inspiration and a beacon of hope within the DC universe, who he gets spoken of in hushed tones because he's this, he is the epitome, the king of the mountain, the top superhero in the DC world. The fact that that sort of thing is going to be emphasized throughout these next few films, I'm over the moon. I'm over the moon. And if this ends up not being a Henry thing, I hope that you guys can be over the moon too. Because look, I'm not a gatekeeper. I'm not here to say if, if all you care about is Henry Cavill and you're not a real Superman fan because, you know, listen, there's nuances to everything and there are all kinds of reasons to be or not to be a fan of something. But for me, if you're not excited about just the prospect of seeing Superman on April 4th when Shazam comes out, I mean, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to hear that. I'm sorry that you've been jaded by these last few years. And I'm sorry that Superman apparently may only matter to you if there's one particular guy in the tights. But for me personally, I can't wait to see my boy fly again. Now, what's interesting, though, is I, this doesn't necessarily spell the end of Cavill. Because, you know, while that's certainly one takeaway, right? The fact that they're showing Superman, but they're not showing Henry's face or using his voice or anything like that, you know, the interpretation could be, oh, well, then this confirms they're moving on. But it's not that cut and dry. It's not that cut and simple. Because part of the reason that they're keeping things vague is so that they have options. Right now, you know, they're doing the test screenings. And that's one of the reasons why also I'm not racing out to say scoop confirmed, scoop confirmed, because things in test screenings get cut. Things in test screenings don't get shown and then they get added later on. You know, you know the, 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 the versions of films that get tested are not always the same as the final cut. In fact, a lot of the times they're not. And if we learned anything from a couple of weeks ago, you know, the questionnaires that test audiences have to fill out cover a whole wide range of topics. It's not just, what did you think of the movie? Did you have a nice time? Would you recommend it? They break down stuff by like character and they ask you to rate, you know, what did you think of this? How did this go? How did this make you feel? You know, they really want to try to get into the psychology of their prospective customer base, their test audience. So I would not be surprised if they included this Superman thing and they kept it vague on purpose just to ask the audience afterward, what did you think of the tease of Superman? And then hear what comes back. Maybe people will say it was unnecessary and distracting. Maybe people say it was awesome. I wish we could have seen his face or that he could have been in there more. Or maybe people would go, I really wanted to see Henry Cavill in this or whatever. You know, they're probably testing this out to see what people's appetite is like for Superman. Because... If you recall the stuff that I reported on two weeks ago, the stuff that was revealed by Neil Daly on a recent podcast, Neil Daly is someone who uh, monitors and, and keeps track of test screening results. Uh, he said that during the Justice League test screenings that Batman and Superman tested at the bottom of the list, that audience members had no real interest in them. They really were much more excited about The Flash and Wonder Woman and Aquaman, and that the two titans of the DC Universe were basically the least interesting part of that movie for them. And it really kind of made the studio feel like, 
maybe we need to pump the brakes on our world's finest. <laughs> maybe we need to kind of put Batman and Superman on hold for a bit to see how people are, you know, how we can make them appealing again. So part of why this test screening may have included just this quick, almost, you know, trivial cameo of Superman was to see if people would get excited by it. If they get excited by it, maybe there's more footage they can include. Maybe there's alternate takes. Maybe they could expand on it. Maybe they could, you know, listen, there's all kinds of things that could happen if that cameo tests well. And all they really did by keeping it generic was give themselves some flexibility. Because remember, this came up a lot last year too, where people pointed out, oh, but Henry Cavill has another deal in another appearance left on his deal. So why should it matter whether or not he signs an extension? He has another appearance. Just use it for Shazam. What's the problem? And the problem is they're trying to prepare for the future. If they're preparing for the future and they're not sure that Cavill is part of that future, then it, it puts them into a corner to include him in Shazam. Because now you're going to continue to establish that this guy right here, this is Superman. And this is the Superman for this whole franchise, this whole continuity. Whether it's Shazam or Aquaman or Wonder Woman or whatever, Henry Cavill is your Superman, no matter what. And what happens then is you as a studio, first of all, if, if the audience was not fond about him during Justice League, maybe, they, maybe they're still just not fond of him in general. Remember, it's not like Man of Steel set the world on fire. It's not like Batman v Superman was received as this all-time classic by the general audiences. So if they put him in Shazam, and it's a very calculated risk, and people go, oh, this guy again... Now they put themselves in a tough spot. We're like, now maybe they really do have to put Superman on ice for a while because it means that the damage done by those other films has been very big, has been enough to sink Superman for a while. Whereas if people love it, now they've lost all their leverage at the negotiation table. You know, now when they sit down with Danny Garcia and Henry Cavill when they're done with The Witcher later this year to go, okay, you know what? We're ready to make a deal. The Aquaman effect is in full force. We're ready to, you know, put a fresh coat of paint on Henry Cavill's Superman, get, surround him with a creative team that's going to give him a real crowd pleaser of a movie, and we're going to go. Danny Garcia is going to go, that's great. But let's please note, there's no more films left on his thing, and everyone loved his appearance in Shazam, so you are going to have to show me the money. So it puts them at a disadvantage too. So if they hate it, if, if test audiences hate having Cavill in the movie because they're just tired of this Superman, it sinks Superman for years. If they love Henry Cavill's Superman, it puts Warner Brothers at a steep disadvantage in trying to secure him for the future. So it's a very, it's a precarious situation. And that's why I say everyone should just be patient and see how it plays out. I think there's a chance Henry could come back. If there's one thing I am certain, and if there's one thing that came back from back at me yesterday when I was doing digging about this cameo and Henry's status in general and Superman's status in general, the thing that kept coming back to me was that things are not yet official. Nothing is set 
yet. They purposely issued that statement in September, the studio did, where they said, listen, we've always had a great relationship with Henry. Right now, there's no Superman movie to discuss. But they essentially said, you know, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. You know, I don't have the quote in front of me, but they left things sort of open-ended. Listen, we like Henry. Henry's the current Superman. There's not a Superman movie to talk about right now, which we already know is kind of a lie because as recently as weeks and months prior to that, they were offering Superman to people like James Gunn and they were offering it to Matthew Vaughn, you know, at the end of 17. You know, there was a Superman movie at some point, but then something happened. Which, by the way, I want to share with you my final theory on how that all went. But just to sort of cap off this thought here is they've purposely left things open-ended so everyone else should be just as open-minded as the studio seems to want to be. Anyone out there telling you Cavill is coming back is lying to you. Anyone who's telling you Cavill is 100% out and we're never going to see him again is also lying to you. So the point is, let's just take a deep breath. Let's sit back. Let's see how this all plays out. Let's see what the test screening results are like. What sort of market research comes back at the studio from including that in the most recent test screening for Shazam. And let's see what they decide. And I'm telling you, I think the reason that Henry posted that thing, I think the reason that his team went out of its way to act like, no, we didn't do anything wrong, which, by the way, is kind of weird. If you if you ask me, I spoke about this on Twitter a couple days ago when the when the debunking came out. That you know that came from me. I'm the one who reported that, and I'm the one who you know when Collider reached out, they said according to Revenge of the Fans or according to this report, this is why this you know you guys asked for too much. I'm nobody. I'm just Mario Francisco Robles. I'm known to my less than three thousand Twitter followers. I'm, I don't have a blue check mark next to my name. My site's only a year old. And while I've been doing this for, you know, over five years now, I'm still by no means some sort of household name. And I'm not necessarily someone that Danny Garcia and company should be worried about. You know, if you think what I'm saying is total BS, then you know sell it. To borrow a wrestling term, you know sell it. You ignore it. You don't dignify a response to something that's just pure, purely made up, coming from a site that maybe 10 people have heard of in your circles. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, it's just funny. It's just funny, and to me, it's sort of telling. So I think right now, I think Cavill, perhaps maybe he heard that the test screenings were coming. Maybe there was already a conversation about the fact that, hey, listen, we're going to run a cut of Shazam next week that includes a generic Superman tease. And that word got through to him. So he put that out just to kind of remind the world, hey, I'm still Superman. And hey, studio, if you're going to be doing this Superman stuff, I'm your guy. I have the 1.5 million likes on my post in just a matter of hours to prove it. So I think it was a calculated move by Cavill just to sort of begin a week that was going to have a Superman cameo probably revealed by the end of it to begin that week by reminding people that he's still there and that he's still, technically speaking, the current cinematic Superman. Um, so I think it's all, you know, a savvy marketing ploy. And let's see if it works out. 
Let's see if there's more to this story and the sides met last week and there is a new deal. Let's see if this is just Cavill and his camp shrewdly trying to continue to negotiate to kind of force the studio's hand by saying, hey, people are excited about Superman. You've got me here. I'm ready to play it. What's the holdup? Give me what I want. Um, and that reminds me, by the way, in speaking of like uh, forcing the studio's hand, so to speak, you know, like I said, I have a theory. I have like a final theory about what I think happened back in September. Um, and that is this, you know, as I reported, uh, on September 12th, after the Hollywood reporter unveiled its report that the studio had seemingly walked away and was no longer interested in bringing Cavill back, you know, I reached out to a source of mine that day to find out what is going on here because you didn't warn me about this. And, you know, I thought these deal, these negotiations were a foregone conclusion. I've been talking about them for months. Like it's all just a mere formality. So I was a little freaking out. And they say that the night before, the word, word on the street there at the studio, this source of mine who works at Warner Brothers, said that the word around the office was that they had met the night before and that the two sides had clashed heads and at that time the studio really had sort of stepped away and was not interested in bringing Cavill anymore but they didn't want that to be public knowledge so here's where my conspiracy theory comes into play I think Danny Garcia leaked that story to the Hollywood Hollywood reporter you know they had that meeting the night before it did not go as planned you know, Garcia probably made her play to give him that executive producer credit, the same kind that Dwayne Johnson has on, like, all of his movies. She was trying to secure Cavill's ability to have more of a say in these films because after what happened with Justice League, after what happened with BVS, Cavill was had kind of gone through the ringer of having to deal with the studio, meddling on his movies and, and messing up his chance to really kind of fly as the character. He wanted an ability, he wanted the power to go, well, listen, I want to make this kind of story. I think we should approach it this way. Here's who I think should make it. He wanted the ability to do all those things. And the studio looked at him, as I've covered before, and they thought, listen, Henry, we love you, but you have yet to produce as Superman. You've been in three movies, and whether it's your fault or not, the fact remains, you are not this beloved pop culture figure where the entire world loves and embraces you as Superman. You've been part of some polarizing films that we've had to try to work our way around and try to readjust the trajectory of our entire franchise because of how polarizing they were. So Henry, we're willing to keep you, but you have to work with us. You have to work on our demands. You have to do things our way. You're not in a position to ask us to give you all this extra stuff, considering your three Superman movies so far, none of them set the world on fire. So Warner Brothers walked away from those negotiations. Danny Garcia saw an opportunity, and she leaked that information to the press they, with the hope that it would force the studio's hand, that enough fans would freak out that Cavill's out, that they would suddenly start writing into Warner Brothers, tweeting angrily about it, writing angry blog entries about it and whatever, and force the studio to go, oh, wait a minute, maybe, maybe we should keep Henry because look at the outrage at his ouster. So I think that's what happened. That is my final theory on what happened back in September. 
She tried to force the studio's hand, and it didn't necessarily work out, but it got them to at least go, okay, we'll keep an open mind. And now here we are, post-Aquaman making a billion bucks, and I think their mind is really open right now. That's what I think. And, you know, if we're talking like Danny Garcia's status with the studio, with the way the studio is viewing her, there's another bit of news that I don't think anyone else is really <clears throat> uh, talking about yet, maybe because it has to do with a spoiler. So I'm going to try to find a really uh, delicate way to talk about this without getting into any specific spoilers. But there was another insight that came out of the test screenings that was revealed by people who saw it and revealed by the person I spoke to who saw it. Um, and the most vague sort of sanitized way that I can share this with you is that, and this shouldn't be exactly surprising, you know, because Shazam is movie one and usually in movie one of a, of a solo franchise, you drop hints about where you're going to head next, you know, who another villain's going to be, you know, just like they did in Aquaman where, you know, Randall Park's character gets introduced in that post credit scene and they're setting up Black Manta for the future. You know, Shazam has teases for the future. And I won't say whether or not anyone shows up in the flesh or anything like that. But what I will say is there is an illusion and is something there that plants Black Adam in your mind in Shazam. And the reason that that factors into all this is because Dwayne Johnson is Danny Garcia's biggest client. That is like the whole brand right there. That you know, the, without Dwayne Johnson, there is none. That entire team doesn't have an anchor. That entire team doesn't have anything. They they are in the Dwayne Johnson business, and now they're trying to turn the Henry Cavill business into something that could be on par one day. But let's not forget ourselves. Dwayne Johnson is the star of that whole show, and when all this stuff went south between Garcia's camp, you know, the Cavill camp and the studio last year, one of the recurring things I was hearing was that they don't like dealing with her. They don't like dealing with Garcia and her camp. And that got me thinking, okay, if they don't want to work with her anymore, and because of her and her negotiation tactics, now Henry Cavill's, you know, no longer going to be able to do Superman again, this probably means that Black Adam and Dwayne Johnson are gone too. Because chances, you know, he, he wanted to, he, okay, how do I put this? The rumors are true in, in the last two years that have come out where Dwayne Johnson wants to do something where Black Adam and Superman interact in some way. You know, a big part of what Dwayne Johnson is looking forward to and one of the reasons why I think he, you know, he he got Danny Garcia to sign Henry Cavill and you know this whole collaboration that's going on is he wants to work with Cavill on something whether he's the villain in a Superman movie which was, you know, teased once, whether it's a Shazam Superman Black Adam type of movie like we've already seen play out in animation, whether it's having Superman show up in a Black Adam movie, Dwayne Johnson's high on that idea. So you've got to imagine he was none too pleased with how things went last fall. And a part of me was thinking, that's it. Maybe we're never going to see Dwayne Johnson's Black Adam. Uh, in fact, after all these years that he's been with DC and had, has had sh so little to show for it, 
I think a lot of us feel that way. Like, oh, well, you know, I think the Black Adam thing is just going to end up being a pipe dream and we're never going to see it come to fruition. But the fact that they are apparently still building towards Black Adam and then that they drop a, you know, they, they, they kind of let it be known that Black Adam is out there tells me that Dwayne Johnson is still there. And if Dwayne Johnson is still there, that means Danny Garcia is still there. And in an effort to keep Dwayne Johnson and Danny Garcia happy and keep that Black Adam money that's on the horizon coming and shored up for down the line, you got to imagine that they'd be willing to listen to them about Henry for a little bit more. So I think it's one of the other reasons why, you know, it's another factor in all of this. The fact that there is a, a Superman cameo and an, an allusion to Black Adam in Shazam, I think it all works together to create a sort of backdrop where we could find out any day or week or month now. Maybe we don't know until the movie itself comes out. But I think it's, it creates a backdrop where we find out that Cavill is sticking around. But again, like I said not more than 10 minutes ago... Anyone telling you he's returning is lying. Anyone telling you he's not returning is also lying because things are still up in the air. There are interesting things to consider. This can still go one of many ways. And if you don't know how to feel about yesterday's cameo because they show his chest but not his face, I would say look at it as a good thing. Because it means that there's still room for debate. There's still wiggle room. There's still decisions to be made. So don't throw in the towel just yet. And even if it is time to throw in the towel, even if this Cavill thing is all just a nothing burger and we never see him again, folks, Superman is still alive and well. And that in and of itself for me is worth celebrating. Because, you know, I have entire episodes dedicated to what Kal-El has meant to me. And that's why no matter how this shakes out, I'm going to be overjoyed if they keep the Superman cameo in Shazam. Not just because it would confirm what I reported last year, but because I get to see Superman or a version of him in theaters and that'll hold me over until the next time I get to see the last son of Krypton fly again. Um... But now we're going to switch on back. Now we're going to double back, right? I said last week was all Batman. This week is going to be predominantly Superman. But now, my friends, it is time to circle back to our Dark Knight. Because last week's episode, the one that had everyone talking, uh, was the week... Yeah, you know, that was the episode where I dropped a bunch of interesting names. Some of them were from my sources. Some of them were from fellow writers whom I trust and I trust their sources. And some of them came from like insiders at the studio, like, you know, someone who had just come through to me about who the studio's pick was. And that's where I was talking a lot about Army Hammer last week. So let me just recap the list. Okay, I'll recap the list because this week we get to chop some of them off. Aren't you excited? I'm excited. Um... So to recap, last week I said that some of the names that are being floated around included Ansel Elgort, Dylan O'Brien, Logan Lerman, Noah Centineo, Jack O'Connell, Richard Madden, Kit Harrington, Nicholas Holt, Aaron Taylor Johnson, and Army Hammer. Then another name was thrown into the mix early this week when suddenly Robert Pattinson's name 
sort of, you know, just manifested itself on people's tongues. And some will even tell you that he's already got the job. And you know what? Full disclosure, maybe he does. I, I don't know. Listen, I got my sources, but I can only get so close. You know, I'm not... <clears throat> look at me. Am I in a fancy studio in, a, in, a, in an office somewhere? No. I'm sitting here at my computer with my Superman t-shirt on, talking to you from the comfort of my home. And in a couple hours, I'm going to go pick up my kids from school. And a couple hours after that, I'm going to go DJ for a thousand teenagers at an NYU party in the city. I'm not some hard-hitting, insane uh, entertainment journalist who has you know, access. I can just call up Matt Reeves today and be like, did Pattinson get it? So just keep that in mind. Maybe Pattinson's got the job. But for now, all I can do is deal with the information that I do have access to. And based on the information I do have access to, we can effectively cut off names like Ansel Elgort, Dylan O'Brien, Logan Lerman, and thankfully, Noah Centineo. Which is, it's funny, by the way, with Centineo, it's one of these things where, like, you know, people have, like, cognitive dissonance when they want to hate someone or they want to, uh, you know, find someone to be the symbol of all that is wrong in the world. Because I have people who come, you know, who come at me aggressively about Centineo because I was the first to mention him. And they're like, and he'll never be Batman. He's a terrible pick. And they come at me and I'm like, he's not my pick. I, none of these names I say because I'm supporting them. With the exception of Army Hammer, who I would love to see in the role, I'm just the messenger. And I sometimes I have to remind that to people. You know, when, when the weatherman gets on the news tonight and he says, oh, there's a terrible storm coming tomorrow, does that mean that he wants the terrible storm to come? Or is he just letting you know Hey, this is what's happening. Just figured I'd pass it along. Don't kill the messenger. Uh, and that sort of happened with some of these names and with Noah Centineo in particular. But right now, I feel very confident scratching off Centineo, Elgort, O'Brien, and Lerman because I've been told that we don't have to worry about this overly fresh-faced baby Batman that some people would have you believe is coming. From what I hear, a decision has either recently been made or it's recently been revealed that the Batman in Reeves' script, remember, he's kind of he's kind of jumped around age-wise at times. So, you know, we can't blame the people who said he might be very young, but he, the, the age has varied. As someone who's been reporting on the Reeves' Batman rather intently for a year and a half now, you know, there have been times when he was going to look at guys who were pushing 40, who were maybe just a little bit younger than Bruce, than Ben Affleck, like Hall and stuff like that. There have been times where we started hearing mid-20s and we're like, whoa, that's a lot younger. But the general consensus has always been, though, is that he wants younger. He wants younger than the Ben Affleck Batman that we saw in Batman v Superman and Justice League. If you remember... Even though Ben Affleck, I think, was maybe 43 when he did the first one, you know, they wanted him to give off that impression of being older and sort of, you know, past his prime. They put the little gray on his temples, and in Justice League, he talks about being too old for this, and so on and so forth. They were going for old Batman. And now the, the, the big thing is, well, now they're going for younger Batman. But folks, younger 
doesn't mean just young, just a young kid. It just means younger than what we've seen. And I think based on new information that's come my way, it looks like unless you can convincingly pull off early 30s or late 20s, basically if you can't pull off being just about 30, then you're no longer in the running for Batman. And if you look at these actors like El Gordon, O'Brien, and Lerman, and Centineo, they may be in their mid, maybe even late 20s. I, don't, I didn't check the ages on all of them, but they all still have that baby face. They could all still do a movie tomorrow where if you said this guy is 19 or 20 or 21, people would buy it. They still have that fresh-faced, baby, rookie sort of energy about them. So we can effectively sort of move past them and now start focusing on actors who look like a Batman who's in his prime, like a Batman who's around 30, who's been in Gotham for a couple years, already has an established relationship with certain rogues, and is perhaps about to be tested, have his mind and his psyche tested, perhaps the strongest, the most it's ever been. But I think that is more or less the setting that we can look forward to for Batman. So, so you can kind of start erasing from your mind anyone who looks like 25 and younger Bruce Wayne because we're looking for someone who's much closer to in his prime late 20s, early 30s Batman. So just kind of wanted to circle back to that because I know last week that was the big discussion and I know a lot of you guys love talking about that stuff so I just figured I would circle back, let you know what names can be uh, taken off the list. As for my thoughts on Pattinson, who was not on anyone's radar last week, including my own, um, look, you know, if he ends up getting it, I don't see it. But as has been cited so many times, you know, I don't always see it. You know what I mean? I didn't necessarily see it when Heath Ledger from 10 Things I Hate About You on A Knight's Tale got signed on to do the Joker, and then the Joker was phenomenal in one of the all-time great performances. You know, so I don't, I don't always see it. It's not up to me to see it. As long as the director sees it, that's all that really matters. So if it is Robert Pattinson, it's not my cup of tea, but I, as an open-minded fan and creative person myself, I'm willing to give Matt Reeves the benefit of the doubt that, okay, well, there must be something about this guy that fits with your story, that fits with the other actors you're casting. That's something else, by the way, that I'm not sure people who are merely fans understand. And if you'll give me a moment, I will share this with you. I will share you some insight on the casting process. Because obviously not on the scale of a Hollywood production. I have done some casting. I've directed shows that have gone up in Manhattan. I used to come, I used to be in the theater world. I used to, it used to be what I thought I was going to do with my life. So I take it very seriously and I still have a lot of love and passion and experiences to share with you from that time of my life. And if there's one thing I learned when casting is that it's never just about casting the individual parts. It's, it's because then it's about creating an ensemble. It's about creating a team of actors who play off of each other and when you put them on the screen together, you get a certain feeling because they have a certain chemistry or just the, even just the size, the visuals. Oh, this one's big and burly and if we partner them up with someone who's very clean cut and small and proper, that just is a great visually 
you know, it, it's an enjoyable joke and a visual gag. So I might not have been thinking about casting a six foot three hairy guy and a five foot two clean cut nerdy guy with glasses. Now that I see these guys reading this scene, I'm going with this because I like the element it brings. You know, and that was just a random sort of oddly specific comparison or example because I, I've had that happen though. You know, I've been in castings where the I need to cast my three leads in a show that's maybe five or six people and you know, five or six characters deep and I'll have like 25 actresses come and one will come in and I'll look at her and I'll go, oh, she's exactly what I pictured for this role. I can't wait to see how she reads. And then she'll read the line. She'll, she'll deliver her monologue. And I'll think, wow, this person's awesome for this. Now, for the next stage, for the callbacks, now I have her read with the two other actresses I had in mind. And that's when I really see what I have, what I have on, in my hands here. How is their chemistry? How is their interplay? It's amazing what happens sometimes. You get some actors in a room and they naturally start taking on different dynamics. Suddenly, this actress who seemed very confident in her solo audition seems very neurotic, so playing off the energy of her scene partners. Sometimes a character, you know, an actor could come in and they seem like they're going to be incredibly, you know, funny and, and over the top and they're going to be clownish but then you put them in a setting with another actor who is also kind of big and that actor kind of shrinks down and now maybe that they play a more sort of prim and proper sort of squeamish character or whatever you know i hope i'm making my point clear here which is that when you're casting there's all kinds of variables and i've had to turn down actors and actresses who i thought were brilliant for parts who I thought, wow, you were exactly what I thought would be perfect for this. But then I auditioned these three actresses, I put them together, and their chemistry was so strong, and you had zero chemistry with any of them. So I'm going to have to ask you to go home, and now I'm going with this other actor who works better with this cast, or who works better for the overall theme or the overall feel that I want for this production. So that's, that's something to consider too. When people think about why would they choose this actor over that one? Or isn't this person available? Why would they choose this person? You know, the casting process is not black and you know, cut and dry. It's not black and white. It's not just, well, I need a six foot two actor who's brown haired, brown eyed, and, uh, you know, can fill out a, 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 you know, a suit of armor. You know, it's not that simple. You have to see how they interact with the rest of your cast, how your words sound coming out of their mouth, how they take direction from you. There's so many other factors. So when, when people get all wrapped up on how, oh, how can they go with Robert Pattinson or why would Aaron Taylor Johnson be on the list? He was so bad in this or whatever. Like, you got to just take a chill pill. You got to let the director direct. You got to let him do his creative process because after all, like I said last week, that's what we want, right? Filmmaker-driven films, huh? So, you know, I just kind of wanted to just bring that into the mix here in terms of the casting process. Because I think sometimes people think it's much simpler and more straightforward than you think. You know, they, they think that than it really is. Um, 
And now to sort of, uh, you know, the, the, one of the last big things I want to talk about on today's episode is there's a really neat thing happening. There's a really neat thing happening, and it's it's giving me personally some more appreciation for a brand and a franchise that I feel I tend to give the shaft a lot on this show and in my reporting and in general. And that is the Marvel brand, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I mean, I've gotten into it before with the guys over at the Fanboy Garage who think I'm way too hard on and way too dismissive of almost every movie that comes out of the MCU. But here's the interesting thing that's happening, okay? My mother is going through some stuff. And I've had to be there for her. I be there for her. I'm helping her through some things that she's working on, and that's all personal. And we're not going to go there today. But she's needed some. You know, she, she she loves movies and she loves entertainment that could take her someplace else for a couple hours. And I mentioned to her about a week and a half ago that hey, you know, your birthday's April 26th, Ma. That's the same day as Avengers Endgame premiering. And I'm probably going to do a big watch party for that. And, you know, you used to love coming with me to see Superman movies and stuff like that. You love superheroes. She, Truth be told, my mom was the first biggest fan of Superman who got me into all this. She took me to see Superman 4 when I was only four years old back in 1987. And she's the one who sat by me at the Elmwood and held my hand when I thought Nuclear Man killed Superman on the moon by burying him in the, in the dirt. So my mom, you know, I know she loves superhero movies. And in general, you know, I've shown her other, you know, d d different scattered ones throughout the year. And I know that that speaks to her. So I said, why don't you come with me to the Revengers Endgame, to the Revengers watch party for Endgame on your birthday? It'll be my treat. I'll bring my mom out to see a superhero movie. You'll get to meet some of my followers and my listeners and That'll be really cool, and I think it'll be a neat way to celebrate and honor you on your big day. And my mom took this pretty seriously. And she may come and she may not, I don't know. But regardless, she started watching the Marvel Cinematic Universe to try and catch up and be prepared for Avengers Endgame. My mom's pretty cool. I, t I tweeted about that. Um, so I've been helping her. I've been giving her like her watch list, her homework. I've been giving her an abbreviated version of the entire, you know, 10, 11 years worth of MCU movies to try to catch her up and get her ready for Endgame where she doesn't have to watch all of them, you know, cause it's a lot of movies and I'm not sure she'd love all of them. And I bring this up because it's been eye opening for me to get her feedback as she finishes each one, to hear her notes on the movies, to hear her notes on the characters. And the big sort of sweeping thing that keeps coming back at me when my mom talks to me about her experience in reliving these first 10 or 11 years of the Marvel Cinematic Universe is how much joy they bring her. She says, Mario, I don't know why, but they make me happy. They're, you know, they're fun, they're funny, I, I really like the characters, I'm really interested in where things are going, I like the way you explain to me the way all the, all the different stories fit together and what they're building towards. All in all, my mom just thinks it's all really cool. And so far she's watched Iron Man, she's watched Captain America the First Avenger, she's watched The Incredible Hulk. I summarized Thor for her. 
because it's not on Netflix or anything else, and I, you know, I, I don't know that it's worth a rental. Maybe that's just me. Maybe you guys think I should tell her to see that, and I'll tell her. My listeners think I'm crazy for not referring uh, Kenneth Branagh's Thor, but either way, I skipped it. I just kind of I told her what happened. Then she saw the first Avengers. And what's funny, too, is, by the way, before she did any of that, and I allowed this because it does kind of happen on its own. The, this story is sort of self-enclosed. I had her start with Black Panther because it's on Netflix. I knew it would be easier, easy for her to watch. And it will sort of, you know, get her, give her some sense of what Avengers Endgame could look and feel like since Black Panther is, you know, a big part of the current MCU. So she began all this with Black Panther. And she's seen First Avenger, Iron Man, and uh, uh, the first, you know, Avengers movie from 2012. And she's loving it all. She's excited to keep going. Next up on her watch list, I told her she has to see Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 1 and 2. And then we'll take it from there. I think she can skip Ultron. I think she can skip Doctor Strange. She can definitely skip Thor The Dark World. Uh, but either way, I, I, I'm I'm curating an MCU list for my mom, and that's cool for me. And what's also cool about it is, you know, she lives with my grandmother, and my grandmother is an 87-year-old Cuban lady who can be kind of tough to watch movies with because she gets a little bit like, who's that? Why is this happening? Is that the bad guy? I thought they were friends. You know, there's a little bit of a language barrier, but in general, too, like, she has a hard time, like, locking in on a movie unless it's sort of simple and straightforward. That's why a lot of times when we take her to the movies, we take her to see, like, Disney Pixar-type movies. You know, things where the visuals are big and broad and you can understand the story just based on the imagery and the music. And then, you know, you don't necessarily have to get caught up in the language and the dialogue and all the different twists and turns of the narrative. But what's interesting is my abuela is loving the Marvel Cinematic Universe, too. And I'm like, what? But I guess it does. I guess it makes sense for the very reasons that I sort of deride Marvel for being a little just sort of simplistic and safe and by the numbers for the same reasons that I don't necessarily get excited about the bulk of Marvel's oeuvre. Uh, that's why people who are casuals come in and see it and love it because it is accessible. It is, you know, the, the plots are nothing that are going to make you just or that are going to blow your mind and, oh, now I need to watch this three more times to understand all of this intricate plotting. Like, Marvel, you know, the, they've got a formula. And they have their own, you know, formula for success. And they're using it. And they're using it well. And having a couple of normies, like my mother and my grandmother, who don't really follow any of this stuff all that closely, come at me and say how much they're enjoying it. How what a good time! How how it how it helps my mom's mood, because she just in general it's a nice escape, filled with colorful characters who she's enjoying watching, with just enough mystery to keep her hooked and wanting to see what comes next. She, by the way, <laughs> my mom the other day, after seeing Black Panther, she asked me, Mario, did you know that there's more movie at the end of the credits? 
<laughs> I, I, I couldn't, you know, I, to me it was so cute and so indicative of the fact of like how out of the loop she is on this stuff. Which again, that's not a knock on her, it's my mom and she has bigger fish to fry than the MCU. But it's just cool, interesting her make, it's interesting to hear her make these discoveries. To hear what it's like for a newcomer to enter the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's been a big pleasure for me to hear it's gotten me to want to go back and rewatch some of these movies because as I, as I'm explaining them to her, I'm like, you know, this really has been a pretty neat ride since 2008, and what they're building there, it may not be, you know, rocking my world with artistic integrity, but I've never walked out of a Marvel movie anything less than entertained. Except for maybe Thor The Dark World. I think that was the one Marvel movie out of 21 or 20 that have come out so far that I ever walked out going, ooh, that was a clunker. I, I would like those two hours back. But by and large, the other 19 Marvel movies, I always walked out at least entertained and sometimes much more than that. And it's important for me to say that and honor that here on the show because I do feel... I kind of throw a lot of shade their way and I, I kind of act like I kind of dismiss the MCU a little bit and you know I have my reasons for that too you know aside from the fact that I do find it a little safe and a little paint by numbers and I very rarely get that feeling at a Marvel movie that I have during like Wonder Woman or even Aquaman at times where everything feels so epic and so grand and so powerful and operatic that I'm there on the edge of my seat with my eyes tearing and ready to just cheer and, and, and root for my heroes as they save the day. I may not necessarily get that for Marvel movies outside of maybe the Avengers and for moments of Spider-Man Homecoming and for a lot of like Captain America stuff, you know, First Avenger, Winter Soldier. You know, aside from those exceptions, I very rarely feel that alive watching a Marvel thing. But you know what? If Marvel's just going to be my safe but exciting comfort food that's not going to change my life or 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 re, you know make me rethink the way I look at these heroes but if it's going to be the comfort food that every few months I get to go for a couple hours and just have a good time and see cool characters doing fun things and using their epic abilities to tell this outsized tale that is a nice escape from the doldrums of real life um I have to thank Kev, you know Kevin Feige at Marvel Studios for giving us that, and it also to circle me back to my DC fandom. It also makes DC special to me. To me, it makes DC more special to honor Marvel, because if Marvel represents my stability, right? I, Marvel is going to be like the backbone of the superhero cinema that I get to watch, and I know that like clockwork. Every four or five months, I'm going to go see another entry in this big space opera that they're building there. Meanwhile, DC is more the ones who are more artistic, more risque. I'm going to see reinterpretations of these characters. I'm going to see filmmakers that have a real vision who will be able to just flex them and tell the studio to go F themselves as they tell their own unique avant-garde, interesting, personal journeys on these characters i think that's awesome 
then I get the best of both worlds. That's why it would always worry me when it seemed like DC just wanted to copy Marvel. Like, no, I've already got Marvel. Marvel's there. They're doing the safe, fun, reliable entertainment. I want DC to be there to give me the, 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 the heavier stuff, the more thought-provoking stuff. And thankfully, you know, with Joker on the way and Birds of Prey on the way and Wonder Woman 1984 with its sort of Orwellian sort of undertones and some of what we're hearing about with Batman and how it's going to play on his psychology and the detective work and really put him in an environment we've never seen him before. To me, I'm going to continue to get the best of my both worlds for years to come. So I want to give Marvel credit where it's due. I think that they've done a very admirable job of creating 10 plus years of at least pretty good entertainment. And I think that's valuable in this day and age. I think that serves its purpose. And I think it's growing the fanboy and geek community because they do make these stories very accessible. They're not just loaded with references and things that go over your head. They're not dense with all of this thematic and heavy narrative machinations that are going to make it, going to have you leaving the theater kind of going, I don't know how I felt about that. I enjoyed it, but I didn't understand why this happened or this and that. You know, let Marvel be the safe. Let DC be the... The, the, the crazy. Let Marvel be the classic rock. Let that be your Rolling Stones or let it be, you know, your your old reliable music and let DC be punk rock. Let it be rebellious and different. And sometimes they'll shoot for something big and fail with their lofty ambitions. But sometimes when they're on, it's the greatest superhero filmmaking you've ever seen. So let that happen with DC. Let things continue to be what they are for Marvel. I think we all win. That's why I will not stand by and engage in any sort of Marvel versus DC nonsense. And I try to shut that down when I see it. But, um, you know, there's a lot to appreciate from both brands. And so this week, in light of hearing that my mother in her 50s and my grandmother in her 80s are checking out the Marvel Cinematic Universe and are thoroughly locked in and hooked and excited to see more, it made me realize I have to give credit where it's due. So thank you, Kevin Feige and Marvel Studios, for making films that are palatable for the masses, that bring in more people into this tent that we call fandom, that we call geekdom. If you inspired even one other kid or one other person to go and get, say, you know what, I want to buy a comic book, or I want to learn more about these characters, then Marvel Studios, you've done your job. You've, you've grown the fan base, and you've given us, you know, entertainment at a time where we could really use some good escapes from time to time. And maybe we don't always need to have our thinking caps on. It's okay to just have a Coke once in a while. And I think those movies are a Coke. I think I've said that before. And uh, I think, you know, DC is more like, uh, they're like cocktails. They're mixtures and sometimes it'll be delicious and it'll get you across the finish line. And sometimes it'll be bitter and you send it back to the bar. But at least, you know, it's, it's a cocktail. They're working on something exciting for you that has the potential to take you to a whole other heightened plane that your, you know, a, a, a cup of Coke is not going to give you. Coca-Cola, mind you. Um, so everyone, I think that about does it for episode 86 of the Fanboy Podcast. Uh, 
If you enjoyed this show, if you have any thoughts on what I had to say about Henry Cavill and Superman, please let me know in the comments below. Uh, you could find this. You, you'll, you'll be able to find this on YouTube in video form, where you can watch me talking about it, wearing my generic Superman shirt. I purposely chose the generic one to make a point. But uh, if you want to watch it, you can watch it on YouTube. If you want to listen to it, you listen to it on your podcast app. And uh, like I said, leave me a review, share it with your friends, let people know about the Fanboy Podcast, the Revengers Podcast, the Fanboy Garage, Hops and Box Office Flops, Tales from the DC Multiverse, the Amateur Otaku Podcast, the Play It Loudcast. You know, Revenge of the Fans has a ton of content for you, and we hope you'll support us both on Patreon and by spreading the good word and by possibly visiting patreon.com slash revenge of the fans. Thanks for listening, everyone. And until next week, life is chaos. Be kind.